James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we we come to you. And we want to recognize before you that if we lack wisdom, our response should be to ask of you. Because you are the God who gives generously to all. Lord, I pray that you would let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we pray this in the power of the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about God is the source of wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. And you just heard Brayden read in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives generously to all, as I just prayed. But how often do we lose sight of this wisdom? How often do we turn aside? When I was preparing for this, uh, words out of Proverbs came to mind, reminding me to trust in the Lord with all my heart, not to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledging him. And he will make, my, uh, make straight my paths. Says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. As we were finishing up uh, Elijah and Elisha, Those words might have been familiar words as we stood and watched those dry bones come to life and the hope that we have in God. 
But the reality is, how do we make that wisdom grow? We're prone to wander, aren't we? We're prone to latch on to something else. But how do we make that grow? And I thought maybe before we get too far into this, maybe the kids could help us. How do you make God's wisdom grow in your life? How do you get to know God and what He's like and what He expects? Any ideas? No idea? How do you, how do you interact with God? Praying? Did I hear someone say praying? Yes? Okay. Okay. I just have one little thing to do here, and then it will make more sense. Sorry, I thought I already did this, but I didn't. Okay, so praying. So that's one way. Okay, God's wisdom is when we talk with Him. What is another way that we engage with God and hear His wisdom? Any other ideas other than talking with Him? Reading the Bible, that's right. Okay, so we have another uh, way of interacting with God and hearing His wisdom. Is there another way that, that you think about that might help us to learn about God? It's a hard question, isn't it? What about Praise Factory? Do you learn about God in Praise Factory? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so we hear from others about God and His wisdom. It helps us to understand who He is and what He's like. But how often do we do that on a daily basis? Do we talk with God? Do we read His Word, listen to what He says, and hear from others and be taught. Does it happen every day? Well, you would think, if you looked at an average day, it's pretty, it's pretty empty. There's lots that you could do in a day. And if you spent some time praying, reading his word, listening to your mom and dad talk and encourage you to trust him, it would all fit, wouldn't it? Does it all fit in your day, every day? Mm, not always. Not always every day, does it? Well, the problem is... We have other stuff in our life. Did you know we have other stuff in our life that sometimes takes up time and space? Yeah, okay, good. Whew. <laughs> Hard crowd. All right. So we have our day, but we have a whole bunch of other stuff in our life. Not just rice, but all these little pieces of things that fill our day. What are some of the things that fills our day? Any ideas? What do you do with your day? When you wake up in the morning, brush your teeth? Yeah, that doesn't take very long. Okay. What else do you do during your day? Maybe the adults could help. <laughs> Sorry? Pray? Yeah, you pray. That's good. Um, what, what's something else? Sleeping. Okay. How much of the day do you sleep? Whoa, that's a lot of sleeping. Okay, what other things do you do during your day? Eating. Oh, yes, I love eating. I heard we had a lot of food last night. What else happens during your day? Drinking. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's very popular in Darwin. Okay, 
What else, what else do you do <laughs> during the day? Reading the Bible, that's right. We haven't quite gotten to that because we have some other things, yeah? Playing. Playing, yes. We love to play. In fact, there's a lot of things that we do, and some of you adults maybe do slightly different things, but probably quite similar. But as we get around to it, at the end of the day, we think, oh, that's right. We need to know about God's wisdom. And so we sit down at the end of the day, and we begin to pray. We read our Bible, and we think, oh, that's right. Oh, we didn't quite, ah, we didn't quite get everything to fit. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I feel like that all the time. I have all these intentions, but it just gets all clogged up with the life that we live. And I thought to myself, what are some of the things, as you think about as an adult, that takes time in your day? Some of them are very, very small. Look at that. They're very, very small. But things in your day, but what would happen if you made a priority, a plan, to really know God's wisdom? What would it be like to be able to make it an intentional thing to pray and to hear his word and to listen? Perhaps you're listening to a sermon or maybe listening to music that reminds you of truths about God, just like we just sung. And if you got those things in place in your day and you still wanted to do some of those other fun things like sleeping, uh, playing, what were some of the other things that we do during our day? Yeah, that's right. We read the Bible that was down there at the bottom. <laughs> what other things did we do? We had a little bit of drinking. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but there's, there's all these things in our day. And we think, oh, we possibly cannot do everything that we wanted to do, plus engage with God and His wisdom. But I think what is true is that if we start with God, if we put Him first in our life, even all of those extra things somehow seem to basically make it. Isn't that cool? So it's, it's really important as we consider our days to be intentional, isn't it? We have to be intentional. Otherwise, it just becomes a plan that never happens. Well, James is going to remind us of this. And is James a big book or a small book? You don't know anymore because it's on your phone. So it's just one of these things that you come to. But I just thought, for those that didn't realize it, James is actually like a little letter. Okay? It's a letter that you can see on only four pages. Isn't that amazing? James is a very short book. In fact, as I was reading from the Proverbs, James is a kind of book that is very short and pithy. So it has little statements, just like Proverbs. And sometimes we, we think of it as being a little bit choppy. But what we'll learn as we go through James is that James oftentimes uh, has themes that he repeats. Now, there's a lot of clever people out there that have looked at the way James says the same thing more than once. And so today we'll be talking about wisdom, we'll be talking about prayer, and we'll see at the end of James... Sure enough, prayer comes back. Wisdom comes back. So these themes might seem unrelated, but as we go through James over the next, I don't know, 12 or so weeks, 
we'll see that all of these themes are all talking about the same God. And they're talking to a people that are struggling. James is perhaps one of the first, if not the first book for the early church. This was their letter that gave them encouragement, that gave them hope. If you remember back to uh, uh, parts of the Bible uh, that talk about in Acts, for instance, the early church, it talks about Paul and how he persecuted the early church. They were distributed or dispersed. And so today, as we begin in James, James is going to remind us of a few things. So I have five things today. They're not big points, small points, so don't get nervous. But the first one is in verse number one. Things that we need to know. Things that we need to know about God as the source of wisdom. The first one is this, knowing the Messiah. Knowing the Messiah. Listen as I read verse 1. It says, James, a servant, or in fact a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So it's a letter. He's writing to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. What are they? Well, most likely it's the Jewish Christians of the early church that were dispersed. They were disconnected in a lot of ways because of persecution and because of travel and other reasons. And so they, they, they felt a bit disconnected. They were early on in their faith and they were somewhat discouraged for sure. But who is this James? Does anybody know who James is? It's a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because James is more than once recorded in the Bible. And yet James here, if you did some digging and you looked at the verses, seems to me to indicate that this is the James that is the brother of Jesus. Now, for some, that might be a hard thing to get your head around. It is for me. But James, the brother of Jesus, who refers to himself as a servant or a slave, not only of God, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. That little phrase is quite interesting. The three words there, Lord Jesus Christ, it's repeated quite often in the New Testament. And it reminds us that Jesus is a person, a physical person, perhaps even the physical brother or half-brother of James. But Jesus is the Lord. He is the one that is sovereign and in control of all things. And for those, especially the Jewish Christians, they were longing for a Messiah. And that's what Jesus is, the Christ, the Messiah. So James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James is making it very clear who this Jesus is. 
He's equated him with God. He's equated him with the Lord of all, the long-expected Messiah, his brother. So this gives us hope. This gives us concrete foundation that this wisdom that James is going to talk about is not just his kind of at the end of life, words of wisdom, take it or leave it. No, these, in fact, are the very words of God. So first thing, I think it's important that we know, knowing the Messiah, knowing Christ. For some of you, you might have placed your faith in Christ. Some are still considering what it means. James is making it very clear at the beginning that Jesus is that foundation, that rock, that bedrock in our life where wisdom is founded. Secondly, I'd like to look at not just knowing the Messiah, but knowing the plan. And this picks up in verse 3. So if you skip down to verse 3, it says, For, for you know that. And that's why I've titled these things Knowing. James is saying, come on, guys. You know that. What do you know? What is this truth? What are these promises? What is this foundation? What is this wisdom from God? Well, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I believe that this verse continues in verse 12 by saying, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James wants to remind you of a couple of things. Things that you know. That the testing, the proving, the working out of your salvation is producing something. It's a process of becoming more and more like Christ. In fact, he says, when you have testing, these things that we try to get around and avoid, who likes to be uncomfortable? <laughs> who likes to be frustrated? Nobody does. We want to, as soon as possible, get back into a place of peace and comfort and avoid whatever troubles we can. But James says, we have a different understanding of what's going on because of God's wisdom. We are knowing the plan that God has, that he uses this testing, this proving of our faith to produce. There's purpose. There's meaning. In fact, Paul would agree in Romans 8. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, even these trials, of many kind. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God has a plan. It's not plan B, it's plan A. 
This has been God's plan since before the foundation of the world. That these things allowed in our life would produce in us a steadfastness that would be used to perfect us. In fact, for us to be complete in Him. To prepare us for an eternity with Him. In fact, to give us a crown of life. So we know that God, this Jesus, is the Messiah. Knowing the Messiah. Knowing the plan. But we also have to know that God is the source. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, okay, question for you. Have you ever gotten to the point where you're lacking wisdom? You're like, I, don't, I just don't know what to do. I have no idea where to go on this. Okay, we have one. Good. Whew. This happens to me so frequent. Life is so complicated and messy. It seems like it's the right thing when you hear it, but then you hear a different side to the story and you start wondering, hmm, maybe it's not as clear as I thought. Life is so messy and complicated. And how do we have a witness in it for Christ? How do we do what's right? How do we know what's right? James is saying, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Go to God. It should be our first reaction, not our last. When we look at our day, we should cry out to God in the morning and say, thank you. Thank you for another day, a new day. Thank you for the breath that is in my lungs, the opportunities that you have for me ahead. You have no idea what the day will bring. No idea. In fact, you're limited in making decisions. Cry out to God. For he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6 says this, but let him ask in faith. Sometimes we do go to God and we pray, maybe a quick prayer thing, help me with this decision. But then we walk over here and we get our whiteboard out and we do the pros and the cons and we just say, actually, this is the wise decision. And we work it out based on logic or someone else that is smarter than us and we start to drift we start to drift. How do we balance the world's wisdom and God's wisdom? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. I wish it was, but it's not. Come to God and ask, believing, trusting that God would direct and guide you. He gives us ways to know him, not only as the Messiah, not only knowing that there's a bigger plan, bigger than us, but he, in fact, is the source. Well, in verse 6, as we started to read, but let him ask in faith to trust with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And if I would admit it, in my life as I look back, which is starting to get a little bit older when I looked in the mirror as we came in, uh, as soon as I drift away from God and his wisdom, and I start valuing, trusting other things, other people, more than God, I find myself like on a ship that's being tossed to and fro. And all it does is makes me sick. James is not saying these trials and difficulties in life are trite. They're hard. They're difficult. They're grievous. They're real. James is reminding us, where do we turn? Where do we go for help? Where do we turn first? What do we value most? Is it God? Often it isn't, and we forget, and we run after something else that only temporarily relieves us of our pain. May we know this Messiah. May we know this plan. May we know this reliable, foundational bedrock, this source. May we be single-minded, single-minded for God. It's interesting if you read through James. I was reading through it a few times because it's, it's relatively short. In fact, it's only 2,300 words which I think is interesting because I used to have to write essays that were 2,000 words. And, and so oftentimes when you read through James, you might get a little inkling of, oh, I feel like I've heard this before. Or I think perhaps James might have been listening to something Jesus said. And that's uh, found in a little section of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and others that had gathered. And perhaps James was there wondering, who is this? He wasn't believing at the time. In fact, he didn't until after the resurrection of Christ. But you wonder if James was thinking to himself these words when it comes to priority and trusting. When the disciples had asked, how do we ask? How do we pray? And Jesus replied in the Sermon on the Mount, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. James often is there to remind us things we already know. In fact, you know that repeats a few times in this book. God is the source. He is the one that we should turn to. Additionally, it continues in verse 9 about knowing not only the Messiah, the plan, the source, but the future. 
Just think if you could know the future. What was going to happen in 2050? I know we have a lot of plans as a nation, as individuals, hopes and dreams, bucket lists, all kinds of things that come to mind when we think about the future. But James is cautioning us. Verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and the beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James later on will say this question. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We don't talk about this very often in the world, do we? The fact that we have no idea what tomorrow holds. We make plans. In fact, we're confident in our plans. We boast of our plans. And James chapter 4, we'll talk more about that. But in reality, we have no idea, not only about tomorrow, but we don't even know what this afternoon holds. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we were meeting, gathering together, and over lunch we discovered, oh, there's a lockdown, and we had to go home. That is the reality in our life. We're starting to get a bit of a sense of that because of COVID. You know, we make plans, oh, got to change them. Make plans, oh, shoot, got to change it again. Now I'm hesitant to make plans. We're hoping to go to Perth in four weeks. Certainly haven't booked the ticket yet because, well, I'm not sure what's happening. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing today, isn't it? But we don't really come to grips very often that our life is a vapor. We don't come to grips that our beauty that seems so boastful is fading away like a flower in the field. What is our posture in this? When we look at God as the source of wisdom, may we reflect in the posture of a rich man who humbles himself and says, hey, the only reason I'm in this line of status is because of God. And it could change tomorrow. And in their humility, they bend and come alongside of others. Or what about the poor that are lifted in exaltation because of God? The ones that see the future clearly and the hope they have in heaven. May we have a posture that is influenced by this God of wisdom. But what is the impact of all of this anyway? 
James has a lot to say, and we're just touching the surface on each of these topics today. We'll have a chance to kind of go back through them in more detail as the book goes on. But what is the impact? What's the end result? Well, you're not supposed to do this, but let's look at the end of the book. (laughs) What does James say about the impact of trusting God, turning to Him, asking for wisdom? Verse 19 says this, My brothers, in fact, my sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will have this impact, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is good news for us. We're in a funny situation these last couple of years. But if we're brutally honest, it's not the hardest things that each of us has faced. If we were to go around the room, I would be surprised if you said, no, that was the hardest thing. I'm sure many, if not all of us, would say, oh, in the last couple of years, here's a couple of things that have been really hard that have grieved your heart. James wants to encourage you, like he did the early church. Turn to God. Cry out to Him. He is the Messiah. He is the one with the overall plan. He is the source of this wisdom. He is the one that is in control, not of today, only, but of the future. And he is the one that allows us to have impact on others. Why are we still here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why am I still here? I've turned to Christ. Why can't I be like Elijah and be swept away in a whirlwind? I want to be freed from this world, and all of the frustration that it brings. God has a purpose in why we're here. Yeah, it's frustrating. It is. But Romans talks about in Romans 8 that it was frustrated with hope. There's a hope that God is producing in us, a testing that is being proven proving our faith that produces steadfastness, makes us complete and perfect in Him. In fact, gives us eternal life. God is in His sovereign plan. This is one of my big questions that I have. Why does God do this? But in His sovereign plan, He uses us to reach others. He uses us as his hands and his feet. And when I consider all of this, when I consider all of this, then maybe verse 2 begins to start to make sense. 
I intentionally left that to the end because when you first say it, it it just seems too good to be true. But when you consider all that we've talked about this morning, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. We can consider, we can have peace. In fact, we can rejoice in this. If we look back, others talk about this. These familiar words of rejoicing. Paul puts it this way in Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to, ever, or to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Where does this joy and rejoicing come from? It comes from God, the source of wisdom, the source of hope, the source of life. As we begun today, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. My question to you this morning is, who are you listening to? Who are you turning to? Clearly, God puts people in our life to guide and direct us. That's a gift. This church is a gift. Who do we turn to first? Who is our ultimate source of wisdom? Is it God and God alone? Let's pray and ask God to help us with this truth. Lord, we come to you again this morning thankful for your word because your word brings life, brings understanding, it brings wisdom, it brings hope. We acknowledge that the rain does fall, the floods do come, the winds do blow. Yet we acknowledge that these words, this hope comes from you. Lord, help us to be founded on the rock. As the psalmist reminds us, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation my stronghold. 
Lord, may the words that we're about to sing be true. That I was once lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. Alleluia. All I have is Christ. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.